Welcome to episode five of Who to Thunk It with Zeb. This episode, I want to go over something a little bit more light than the last episode about philosophy. This is more something that I find funny and interesting and something you can learn something from. Thousands of years ago, before Europeans came to Australia, the Aborigines called the small continent or the huge island their home. In 2016, the Nature Journal, one of the most, if not the most, prestigious scientific journals in the world, published a genomic history of Aboriginal Australia. That's the title of their uh, publication. They discovered the Australian Aborigines are the members of the oldest existing civilization on the globe. Over as much as 31,000 years, uh, these people lived and evolved with incredibly harsh Australian landscape, created some of the most complex cave paintings known to society, and thrived alongside this land's ecosystem. However, this episode is not about the Aboriginal Australians. This episode is about the Europeans that colonized Australia. Specifically, in the time they went to war with one of Australia's most exotic species, a species, like most creatures of Australia, found nowhere else on Earth. <laughs> so, this is about, drumroll please, the Great Emu Wars. In 1770, Captain James Cook and his ship, the HMS Endeavour, uh, landed on Botany Bay in Australia. He maps the eastern coast of the continent and claims it for Great Britain because that's how people did things back then. Europeans went somewhere and said, this is mine. Australia was colonized by Governor Arthur Phillip when he landed in Sydney in 1788 in Port Jackson. This was a penal colony, which means most of, it was mostly made up of prisoners. Nice. Fast forward over 100 years to the end of the First World War. It was 1914 to 1918. Uh, the returning Aussie veterans were given land for farming. Most of the population at this time lived in homesteads. Homesteads, basically people living off the land uh, and farming. But these homesteaders had a hard time because, surprise, one of the harshest landscapes on the planet has, has mostly hard soil and is really hard to farm. Uh, the Australia, uh, Australia got hit hard by the Great Depression. Um, that was that originally affected the United States and but it, they made it worse for themselves because they attached their currency to the British gold standard which was already shaky um, they basically attached their money to to the UK to England's and then England's gold standard just went down the toilet so they attached their economic future to a sinking ship uh, things were looking bad so these veteran farmers who were having trouble with the land were also having trouble with the economic crisis. So they're, they're getting screwed over multiple ways. Most of these farmers, rural and rural Australian, rural, rural, it's a difficult word to say, uh, rural Australia started to move to the city for work. It was the farmers who stayed behind, the tough, stubborn ones that felt the brunt of our topic today for this podcast. And... It was so. Think about those stubborn farmers. Everyone else was going to the city. Industrial revolution had already been going on, but now these farmers are staying behind because they want their they want their land that the government gave them for uh, fighting in World War One. 
And here's some perspective before we get into the topic. So this is straight from the YouTube channel Oversimplified. Um, it's a Oversimplified has a hilarious video on this topic. I suggest you go check it out. So America's national animal is the bald eagle. It's majestic. It's strong. It's a great representation of America. And the bald eagle is a very protected uh, species by law. India's national bird is the peacock. It's beautiful. It has all these wonderful colors. It represents India with its vivid colors and is considered a protected species. Now, Australia's national bird is an emu. And it's a pest. And apparently delicious. <laughs> so that, I thought that was a funny um, perspective. Everything's a little bit wonky in Australia sometimes. So emus are, what is an emu? Emus are these big, ugly, gray, and terif frankly terrifying birds. They get to about six feet tall. They're 120 pounds. They sprint at about 40 miles per hour. Emus breed inland towards the center of the continent and then return to the coast um, after breeding for more food. But since the farmers, these farmer veterans had planted all that plush, tasty wheat everywhere, there was no need to head back to the coast for food. So once they ran inland towards the middle center of the continent, they got they got busy. And then instead of going all the way out to the coast, they noticed, hey, check this out. Uh, the emus stuck around and ate all the farmers' crops. Whatever their emus didn't eat uh, was then devoured by the smaller wildlife that could now gain access to the crops since the emus busted such a busted such a big hole through the farmers' fences. So basically, these farmers' crops are being absolutely decimated once they've already had a hard time trying to grow crops in this hard soil and have been hit by the economic crisis, um, basically the shockwave from the Great Depression in America. Um, so in 1922, they were deemed a protected species, yes, by, by 1922, but when 20,000 emus ransacked farms all over Western Australia, costing the already poor farmers millions millions of more pounds, you know, their their form of money then, in crops, they were now seen as vermin. So in 1932, they turned to the Australian government. Now, these farmers could have gone to the Ministry of Agriculture because it's a problem for their farming and it's a wild animal. But they decided to take their emu dilemma to a man called George Pierce, who was the Minister of Defense. That's right. These farmers are having problems with their farmland, so they decide to go to the, basically, our version of the Defense Department. <laughs> the government was pretty poor at this point, and instead of spending what little money they had on helping their citizens through the socio-economic crisis, they decided to slaughter emus, because why not? The operation met some opposition, as it probably should have, so George Pierce made the farmers sign a contract basically stating they would pay for and take the blame for the operation should it fail. In true government fashion, the operation was given over to Major GPW Meredith. We're going to call him Major Meredith of the 7th Heavy Battery of the Royal Australian Ar Artillery. And he took his men, um, from what I gathered, it was just two of them, with two machine Lewis machine guns and about 10,000 rounds of ammo. 10,000 rounds of ammo. There's only 20, there's 20,000 birds. They only gave them 10,000 rounds of ammo. My thinking is they probably thought, well, they can't, can't completely eradicate them, but 10,000 might decimate them. 
they wanted to decimate the emus in Western Australia. Now, this emu operation was thought to be an easy win for Pierce, and he wanted to use it as a PR stunt. Pierce needed to gain some public approval, so he sent camera crews to capture the operation. It was some good old propaganda. That means, yes, yes, folks, you can get on YouTube and watch some videos of the Australian, of the great Australian emu war. Um, I don't know what all you're going to see. It's, I mean, it's probably a lot of birds dying. Um, I actually did see some of it myself, but it's kind of gruesome. So anyway, back to the war. The first battle, that's right, they called them battles, took place in the now abandoned town of Campion in November of 1932. Major Meredith's men fired their machine guns at a large mass of emus from far away. They were technically a large mass of emus is called a mob of emus. Fun fact. But only killed a number of birds. Um, That is a quote from the major himself, a report, a military report. How many did you kill? Quote, a number of birds. So you know if they're hiding it that way, probably not a very lot, (laughs) a lot of birds. Most got away uh, by scattering in small groups. That was their strategy. The emus could take a number of rounds and still run at full speeds to safety. Major Meredith uh, was quoted saying, I'm going to try to do an Australian accent. It'll probably come out terrible. If we had military, uh, it's already English. I'm just going to speak it. If we had a military division with the bullet carrying capacity of these birds, it would face an army in the world. They can face machine guns with the invulnerability of tanks. (laughs) They are like Zulus whom even dumb, dumb bullets could not stop. <laughs> I love that. Um, so that that's end quote there, Major Meredith, basically saying the emus are these tank birds that we can't kill, sir. <laughs> so that was the Battle of Campion. Man, zero, emus, one. <laughs> the second battle um, occurred, I, I saw it referred to as the Battle of the Dam. Now, <laughs> soldiers thought they would sneak up on the emus and fire at a closer range while the birds were condensed to a den. So it's probably the Battle of the Den. I just saw a a typo. But after 12 birds went down, both the machine guns were jammed. So they shot from far away. These birds scattered. They hardly hit any of them. Had to write down, yeah, we killed a number of them. What number? A number. So then now in the second battle, they thought, well, let's get closer range. There's no way we can fail here. Um, yeah, they can take a couple bullets, but these are machine guns. We'll just keep firing. So they tried that, <laughs> and their guns jammed after killing only about 12 birds. Here's your sign. No. <laughs> um, so one of the soldiers was quoted saying, or this, I've, Some people said it was the soldier that said this. Some said it was the media. Anyway, here's a pretty good quote. The emus have proven they are not so stupid as they are usually considered to be. Each mob has its leader. Always an enormous black plume. (laughs) I'm trying to do the Australian accent. Always an enormous black plume bird standing full feet, standing fully six feet high who keeps watch while his fellows busy themselves with the wheat. At the first suspicious sign, he gives the signal and dozens head heads stretch up and out of the crop. A few birds will take fright, take flight, starting a headlong stampede for the scrub. The leader always remaining until the followers have reached safety. So each of these mobs of emu have a leader, and he's basically the watchdog, and he's almost like a captain of a sinking ship. 
He alerts all the other ones who run away, and he stays there until all of them are gone. So the Battle of the Den, Man Zero, Emus 2. Next battle, they decide to attack the birds farther south where they are tamer. The men tried to attack the birds from a mounted machine gun on the back of a truck. That's right. <laughs> they tried to put a machine gun on the back of a truck. But this makes it incredibly hard to aim, especially at, uh, at 40 miles per hour. And it was another failure. So think about this. They're in the 1930s. It's not modern day technology. You have a mounted machine gun. And remember, these birds go 40 miles per hour. It's probably difficult to shoot. Keep in mind in 1932, um, this is 1932, so don't don't picture those modern Humvees you see where the vehicle is de is is designed to have a mounted machine gun on it. The guy's popping out of the middle of the, the Humvee. All depictions I found of vehicles with mounted machine guns of that time, such as U.S. Marines in Nicaragua, looked some somewhat like someone stuck a pole in the bed of a pickup truck and bolted the gun to them. It's crazy unstable and crazy inaccurate. So keep that in mind. This mounted machine gun maneuver was such a failure. Airport stated that one lone emu got caught in the steering wheel of the truck. So they like ran into an emu that put an end to the mounted machine gun idea. The battle of the South with the mounted machine guns, man, zero emus three. So by this time, the press was ripping Pierce, the, uh, Minister of Defense, a new one. On 8th of November, here's a quote. On 8th of November, it was reported that Major Meredith's party had used 2,500 rounds of ammunition, 25% of the allotted total, to destroy 200 emus. When one South New Wales, wait, wait, when one New South Wales state labor politician inquired whether a medal was to be struck for those taking part in this war, his federal counterpart in Western Australia responded that they should rightly go to the emus who have won every round so far. So a politician against Pierce basically said, maybe we should give the medals to the emus since they've won everything and you suck. <laughs> Pierce called the operation off, but four days later, the farmers were still in trouble. So they asked the military to come back and they did. So round two. Now the men now are <laughs> the men now are experienced in killing emus. It's so, so terrible. And more they were a lot more successful in combating the birds since they knew their of their strategy of running away. <laughs> their elaborate strategy of the emus of running away, <laughs> scattering. And they killed about three hundred a week, and by the end they killed about a thousand emus, which is a lot more than before. But the press was bored of it now and got none of this on camera. They only got their failures from before on camera. It's a total blunder. Pierce called it a victory, but only out of two or 20,000 birds, they had only killed 1,000 and had wasted 10,000 rounds of ammo. In the end of the emu, the Great Emu War, guess who won? The emus. <laughs> Hooray, mankind. Hooray, Australia. Um... Uh, farmers were still terrorized by the birds, and so <laughs> problem not solved. The government did in, implement a bounty system, uh, you know, basically giving it to the local farmers lo and local hunters of of the land, and that did see some success. They killed about fifty thousand, or fifty thousand bounties were claimed in six months in 1934. So I said there's only twenty thousand birds. That's what they were trying to kill. There's many more. So they claimed fifty thousand bounties. They didn't 
they didn't eradicate the emus. Uh, but so that that saw a lot more success, the bounty system. But you know what ultimately solved this problem of emus breaking into farmers' land and eating all their crops? Better fences. You don't have to kill them. Make better fences. <laughs> this is something I'd be willing to bet the Ministry of Agriculture might have come up with. Instead of the Ministry of Defense saying, let's kill them. <laughs> so... Um, Today, the emus are now once again a protected species by the Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act of 1999 and can be seen roaming the back streets of Australia. So in the end, everything's okay. The, the emus are back. Um, now the farmers have better fences. Nobody's eating their crops. So all's well that ends well, but it's quite bloody and a lot of emu lives were lost. Luckily, no human lives were lost, but it just goes to show how terrible things can be when when mankind tries to mess with nature and another good example of this is mankind in, in 1788 brought a couple of goats to australia just a few goats what's the harm in that to have a steady supply of food and now today goats have populated the entire continent and caused about $25 million of damage for Australia. This ties into my episode next week about the, the Galapagos goat wars. So yes, I'm going to do another episode back to back with this one about animal wars because I find them so amazing and such a blatant example of why of, of man's blunders basically against nature. Credit for this episode goes to Wikipedia. I know this is one of these episodes that was um, inspired by Wikipedia's uh, page of weird articles. You know, they have it's um, very odd articles that Wikipedia has compiled. They're interesting facts, but they're true. This is one of them, the Emu Wars. There's also that YouTube video, Oversimplified. A lot of the information I got on here was from Oversimplified. And the Great Emu War, there's a an article I wrote from the Scientific America, the Great Emu War in which some large flightless birds unwittingly foiled the Australian Army by Beck Crew from Scientific America. Um, so tune in next week for that, the episode on the Goat Wars of the Galapagos Islands. And I will see you next week. Thank you for listening for Who to Thunk It with Zeb. I love doing this podcast. Don't t- Don't expect to stop anytime soon. I do it weekly. I try to publish them by Thursday or Friday. So, yeah, tune in next week.